0: Some common sense. Yes,
1: sir. And they have the car stopped at 10 and by We
0: still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27 year veteran of the NYPD. Folks, so much more is happening in this investigation since the initial arrest. The scope of the investigation is expanding to other areas, other areas of the country, of course, other states, New Jersey um South Carolina Las Vegas Nevada so this case is far from far from over i mean we we spoke about how the investigation has to clock Mr. Humerman and his lifestyle and his history on this planet actually going back probably to high school the investigators figuring out who is he, where has he been, who has he interacted with, and they're finding out a lot of different things as they search, as they comb through his home. Apparently, uh, the medical examiner's office had be ba- had been back in his home again uh, just yesterday. What that usually means is that they are recovering some biological evidence that they need to process Go, look this could be going back 10 years so crime scene technicians that do this type of work they know what to look for they have chemicals that can make biological material appear and that i believe is one of the things they're doing here uh they're leaving no stone unturned in this case and every day we're hearing about potentially new evidentiary material. Potentially, where was Rex Human? We're hearing that he, had, he has a home in South Carolina. So naturally the investigators must bring their investigation down to South Carolina. There's some suspicious cases in the area of Atlantic City New Jersey that fits his. Remember, we spoke about modus operandi that fits his method of operation. They're going to have to comb everywhere else, including, of course, the cases we have, which which brought this case, the Gilgo Beach cases of uh, Maureen Brainerd, barnes Melissa Bartelme, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Now we know that right now even though they call it the Gilgo Four, they were only able to successfully indict Rex Hewerman for three of them. And they expect an indictment, on the fourth one, in regards to Maureen Brainerd Barnes rather soon, sooner than later. They're working on evidence, but they're not going to, pardon the expression, pull a trigger on the, an arrest until they have the proper information uh, that'll that'll give them uh, enough to get a grand jury indictment. So that's what they're they're working on. The, simultaneously, of course, detectives are canvassing the neighborhood, interviewing friends. Does he have any friends? family members? tracking where he's been. It's a painstaking process. nothing in investigation happens quickly. Nothing happens fast. And the thing, the good thing about right now is that guess who time is on the side of right now? Yes, the investigators. It wasn't always until they arrested him and put him in jail right now where he can't hurt anyone else. The concern was always there that, you know, something we better pull the trigger on this arrest because he's out there. And his apparent behavior is very apparent to us. And we can't take the chance of leaving him out there where he could possibly recommit recommit another crime, another murder. So that's one of the reasons, of course. And the fact that, according to District Attorney Tierney, they were very concerned with the fact that there could be a leak. And he could find out about the investigation and flee the jurisdiction and go somewhere where they couldn't find him. So those were some of the concerns of why they wanted to make the arrest when they did make the arrest.
2: Investigation into the Gilgo Beach murders. Officials are now looking into the 2014 disappearance of an 18-year-old girl in South Carolina, not far from a property owned by Rex Eurman, to determine if he is connected to this case as well.
3: Meanwhile, officials are also taking a closer look at four murders in New Jersey for a possible link to the suspect. ABC's Aaron Katursky has been following this case uh, right from the beginning. Jones is now with more details. And Aaron, just bring us up to speed.
4: David Shirline, it's now been a week since that arrest of Rex Uerman, really stunned Massapequa Park and all of Long Island. Island after so many years but the search for answers and evidence is now far from over. An investigation that began on the beach on Long Island is now nationwide. Police in Rock Hill, South Carolina trying to determine if alleged serial killer Rex Hewerman could be connected to the 2014 disappearance of Aliyah Bell. The 18 year old vanished about 20 miles from where Hewerman owned these vacant lots. It's
5: kind of scary because I live on this street. He kind of stays to himself. He, I'd see him come up down the road, he'd throw his finger up and wave.
4: In New Jersey, authorities probing possible links between Hewerman and the 2006 unsolved killings of four women working as prostitutes near Atlantic City. Their bodies were found in a watery ditch along Black Horse Pike. And in Las Vegas, where Hewerman owned a timeshare, police say they are also going through unsolved cases. We're working with
3: partner law enforcement agencies. Obviously, the FBI continues to be engaged um, to see if there are any other connections that need to be made.
4: Hewerman, a suburban dad, is now charged with murdering three young women in New York more than a decade ago. And he has pleaded not guilty. On Wednesday, his wife of more than 25 years filing for divorce.
3: He had a family, he had a wife, had two kids. Uh, he had a good job in being an architect. Uh, But what he did at night, he was a different
4: human being and uh, a dangerous individual. One theory that investigators are exploring is whether any of the victims were killed inside Hewerman's home. Police are still searching for any proof of that. That's why they remain at the house in Massapequa Park for an eighth consecutive day. And they say that operation, that painstaking operation, is going to last at least through the weekend. David Shirley.
2: How eerie that must be for the neighbors, knowing that possibility.
4: Just lurking right there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron.
0: So, folks, you can see the concern is that this investigation is going to go national. And could it possibly, we spoke about this before, go international in the way, could he have traveled uh, outside the country and uh, committed a murder outside the country? Is that even a possibility? I think it has to be looked into. His wife was from Iceland. She frequently traveled there. I think they have to alert Interpol and and just check all the boxes, as they say in an investigation. Uh, one of the things there was out, actually an outstanding article in today's New York Times, and it's it's entitled um, "The Polygon and the Avalanche: How the Gilgo Beach suspect was found." Uh, and one of this. You know, I show or I alerted everyone to the fact that there's a 32 page report put out by the, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office entitled the bail application report. And this 32 page report outlines this case pretty damn well, a consensed, a con- excuse me, condensed document that tells you a lot. And the New York Times uh obviously used this document to write their report. And uh, they called it the Polygon. This is right from the New York Times. Using phone records and a sophisticated system that maps the reach of cell towers, a team of investigators had drawn the irregular shape across a map of tree-lined streets in the Long Island suburb of Massapequa Park. By 2021, the investigators have been able to shrink the Polygon so that it covered only several hundred homes. In one of those homes, the investigators believed lived a serial killer because a decade before the 11 bodies had been found in the underbrush around Gilgo Beach, a remote stretch of sand five miles away on the South Shore, four women had been bound with taper belts or wrapped in shrouds of camouflage pattern burlap, the sort that hunters use for blinds. They had worked as escorts and had gone missing after going to meet a client. Each shortly before she disappeared had been in contact with a different disposable cell phone. Investigators eventually determined during the workday some of the phones had been in a small area of midtown Manhattan near Penn Station. And that night they pinged in the polygon mirroring the tidal movements of the 150,000 Long Island residents who head into Manhattan each day. Now, last Friday, the Suffolk County authorities announced that they had arrested a man they believed had killed the four women. Rex Shurman, a 59-year-old architect who had an office near Penn Station and lived on a quiet street where they had expected to find him. He was charged with three of the murders to which he he has pleaded not guilty and was named as the prime suspect in the 4th. The arrest ended years of anguish for some of the victims' families, but the investigation also raised an unsettling question. Could the authorities have solved this case earlier? That is the question that everyone is asking. Could they have solved this case earlier? Uh, So the case took uh, over a decade to unfold. And uh, the new police commission, of course, Rodney Harrison, who we've talked about a great deal, came from the NYPD, was the chief of detectives at the NYPD and finally chief of department and came out to Suffolk County about a year and a half to two years ago and became the police commissioner. And right away, Gilgo Beach was his number one priority, which he, he stated publicly. Now this priority, He brought some, and I'll take some credit for him because he's such a humble guy. He brought some of the techniques that he learned on the NYPD, one of them which is in a large investigation to establish a task force of very, very competent investigators, including your law enforcement family, which I would include in this case, of course, the Suffolk County Police, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office, the FBI, the New York State Police, and the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office. A team, a strong team of law enforcement professionals that were going to take a fresh look at this case and put their investigative minds together in hopes that they could see something that may have been missed. And guess what? Lo and behold, investigators had missed something. Now, not criticizing previous investigators, because hindsight is always twenty twenty. We could look at this case now and say, oh, how did they miss this? This was staring them right in the face. However, folks, many of the things that became available in 2021 20, uh, and 2022, i.e. technology, better ways to process DNA, of course, cell phone technology, had upped its game to, you know, Star Wars type uh, technology, computer technology, and of course, identifying with mitochondrial DNA little hairs that were left on on the bodies that were recovered that happened to be over 10 years old, this evidence. So making sure that it was stored, it was stored properly and processed and invoiced properly. Uh, these are all of the things that, um, that were so concerning in this case. Um, of course, the case that now we can look at and say, how did they overlook look at uh, overlook this case was the case of Amber Costello. And if you have the bail application report, it's on page seven. And the New York Times quotes right from this uh, this report. The last of the four to disappear was Amber Costello, a 27-year-old girl with a chaos tattoo on her neck and she advertised on Backpage and Craigslist. Many people in this case get upset at the fact that these, these girls, these victims, these human beings were sex workers and We would be remiss in our duties as content creators not to say this because it's so important to mention this as per the investigation, because that makes something patternable. What do you mean by patternable? Well, these girls were sex workers that gives them something in common that gives them something and that gives the, the investigator something to look at in regards to the perpetrator. So he's targeting sex workers. So what did they next look for? Of course, they look for calls. and of course then this the, this big topic of the burner phones. Um, shortly before Amber Costello was last seen in September 2010, a would-be client co- contacted her from a disposable cell phone. That's what they were calling it. They were calling they were calling it here. Uh, something much different, you know. Uh, a burner phone was referred to as a burner phone. I used to always call it a booster phone. It's, it's morphed into a burner phone. Uh, and uh, the client visited her West Babylon house that she shared with three roommates. He parked in her driveway, according to court papers filed after Mr. Umerman's arrest. He drove a vehicle with a distinctive look, An SUV in the front and a pickup in the back. The driver, again, was just as distinctive, described as having bushy hair and being a huge ogre. That was the word they used of a man between six foot four and six foot six, and between 280 and 300 pounds. Uh, Hulking in his 40s back then. He's 59 now. So he was in his. 45 to 46 years old. Uh, He had dark hair and 1970s style glasses. A witness described him, of course, as an ogre. But as soon as the would-be client paid Miss Costello, a chaotic scene unfolded. A man pretending to be outraged, uh, a boyfriend rushed in, part of a ruse to steal his money, according to the court papers and startled the hulking man, as he's described, fled the house. But a short time thereafter, called on the phone and arranged another date with Miss Costello. Uh, he texted Miss Costello asking for credit for the next time and arranged another meeting. Miss Costello was last seen alive the next night walking out of a home apparently to meet a man. The description of the vehicle in the driveway, a dark first-generation Chevrolet avalanche, ended up tucked away in the case file uh, where it languished for years. Natural for everyone to ask, well, had they discovered that, would it have taken this long to solve this case? Or was it a confluence of competence, let's say, and putting together this task force that discovered this and all all of the hands were pointing in the right direction and they were able to see what now everyone's saying, oh, it was obvious, maybe it wasn't so obvious. And again, the big break came in March 2022, right? We're talking about 2010. So this was 12 years later, right? Just weeks after the formation of the task force, an investigator found the witness's description of this Chevrolet avalanche in the case file using a database that can search for vehicles by make and model Without license plate numbers, the investigator found an avalanche linked to Mr. Ehrman in 2010, the year Miss Costello went missing. And um, Rodney Harrison, in one of his interviews, gave credit to a female detective from the state police. I don't have her name right now, that she's the one that discovered this. And she's the one that came up with this unbelievable piece of evidence that propelled the case forward so kudos to her again the person that started this task force really looks like a genius right mr human's name never came up in the investigation as a suspect his physical description matched that of the ogre man who had rushed out of her house of, of costello uh shortly before she disappeared he was six foot four anywhere from six foot four to six foot six and heavyset. And his office was in the patch of Manhattan identified by the sophisticated cell phone mapping. And he lived in what investigators believe was their serial killer sweet spot, the part of Massapequa Park where they had begun drawing their polygon. The avalanche lead, according to district attorney Tierney, had been known pretty much from the beginning. And he said he didn't know why investigators did not pursue it. He suggested that perhaps the detail hadn't been deemed credible or had sunk in significance amid what seemed like promising leads. So, folks, this that this whole story today, of course, was was in The New York Times. And we read that. And of course, so many people have said, oh, why didn't they move on this? Why didn't they move on this earlier? and you know of course hindsight is always 2020 20. and i would imagine in this investigation there's probably you know 50 or 60 case folders with voluminous amounts of information tip logs with voluminous amounts of tips many stops and starts to an investigation all the time stops and starts and we, I've said numerous times on this show, when you hit a, hit a uh, bump in the road during a homicide investigation, you start all over. You re- start reading the case from the very beginning. Last night, we had spoken a lot about this investigation also in that they ha- cannot stop interviewing people. And that is something that is very important in, in this case or in any homicide investigation, to keep interviewing people in regards to what occurred. And in doing that, uh, I'm going to play a little video of someone who was on News NewsNation the other night with um, Chris Cuomo, and she was a former escort that actually had a date with Rex Shumerman. Uh
6: And that, he seemed normal at first when he said all of that, but like... <laughs> You know, when someone's real big and they kind of like use their weight to seem somewhat intimidating, yeah, that's like kind of the vibe he gave off from the beginning.
3: So, you you met him some, you met him in a restaurant, right? Yeah, the same. All right, so now tell me because now start telling me what the clues were for you that like when you sat down, because you said he was talking about true crime and specifically the Gilgo Beach stuff.
6: Yeah, so when we sat down, like it was basic talk, all normal stuff seemed normal. And then he was like, Oh, you're a true crime buff, and I am, I'm not gonna lie. So we got on that subject and we talked about like certain serial killers and little things. And I said, well, have you heard of the Gilgo Beach murders? And I said, yeah, everybody from Long Island has. We're all following that case. And then he started like talking about it and he tried to say like, you know, he and hypotheticals and like what he thought. But it was the way that he was saying it didn't seem like a true crime fan who just wanted to talk about it Um,
3: help me understand like what were you picking up
6: like his body language kind of changed and like his eyes were like as if he was in a different place like he was picturing it all over again like he wasn't like quite it was weird he he almost kind of made the victims like seem like people who didn't matter how so i don't know i feel like he was just like well they were all escorts anyway kind of thing or like just little things like that. He was saying that to you? Yes. <laughs>
3: so, all right, so he's saying that. What else were you he picking up saying, on him that you were like, this guy, I got to get out of here?
6: Uh, it, the way he talked about it. That was like 100%. So it was logical. like he
0: was into it? Did it he like suggest all that wanted. it was him? You know, folks, this is all part of the personality of this type of individual that gets off on talking about something This is all part of his psychosexual makeup, his sadistic makeup that he's talking about what only he knows that he did at this point to someone. You might even compare it like in in this instance to the same way he feels about a trophy, something that he would have taken from one of the victims so he could relive the crime and relive the sexual part and the violence part of it. And that's one of the things that I think in, in these, these meetings with this, uh, escort, he was getting off on this and thank God she took the vibes from him. And I always say, anytime we do a show, anytime I talk about anything police related, if your instincts are telling you something, believe them. Don't ever go against your instincts. Your instincts are 99.9% of the time. Correct. Them or no,
6: No, but it, the way he talked about it seemed like somebody who like really wanted to be able to brag about what they did but can't and I feel like he told girls that were in the situation they were in or vulnerable or wouldn't go to police because that gave him the opportunity <laughs> to be able to kind of brag about it and in a not obvious hypothetical way, he was almost like agitated that I didn't want to go home with him.
3: So he wanted to go home again after afterwards, the day. Afterward,
6: yeah, towards the end, he asked if I was gonna go back with him, and I didn't want to be like impolite, so I tried to be nice, and I was like, you know, it's really late. I'd have to follow you all the way out to NASA. I don't know right. the area, and I have to drive back. And I, and he was like, oh no, you should leave your car here. Why would you take your car? We could, you could just come in mine. And that like really like weirded me out. I was like, I wouldn't get in the car with somebody. I, like I, I don't right. know you. Know, I'm not gonna get in your car. And how do you take it? He seemed just agitated. Like like oh, I paid for a date. I came all the way to Suffolk. Like I'm here doing all this work, and now she's not gonna come back with me.
3: And how then? How does it end?
6: I uh, ended well. Like I said, I called a friend. And right, but like I had body
3: to, language wise, what, you know, uh, how he was when he left? Like you know, what did you, what do you remember?
6: I was scared because he had this very, like, overpowering, like...
3: Standing over you kind yeah, of Yeah, kind
6: of intimidating. He tried to give me a hug goodbye, but it was very, like, uncomfortable and weird. And just everything about it was very, very strange. He He seemed like he enjoyed talking about it too much. Not like somebody who empathizes with the victims and is following the case.
3: Did he seem to be fascinated with, like, the how or where the bodies were or who he thought did it? Like, where did his curiosity take him?
6: Yeah, he would bring up, like, uh, he brought up the the bags they were in.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. And, and like, how? Like, how did he talk about them? The camouflage
6: burlap? Yeah, the burlap sacks. He just talked about the burlap sacks and bodies going into burlap and... He he said like like how
3: so? What did that mean? Bodies going into um, he
6: he tried to I'm not going to say who he tried to kind of be like I said who do you think it is hypothetically and he tried to put the blame on somebody and kind of relate it to the burlap sacks just to, I guess make me feel more comfortable but I don't think at the time they had even talked about the burlap sacks yet.
3: Did he talk about his appetites like? Uh, Because one of the things that... um,
6: Like what he liked
3: Yeah, because one of the things that made the cops think it was time to move on him... Because, you know, they have to do this balancing test. Like, we got to get as much good stuff to have a strong case versus the God forbid of he does it again on our watch. Yeah. And one of the things that really started to concern them was that he was searching more and more, reportedly, for like, you know, like rapey porn, you know, for lack of a, a more sensitive term. Did he come across that way to you?
6: Yeah, he seemed like somebody who was like very rough. He didn't seem like a soft, tender kind of person in any way.
3: Did he talk about it that way, in terms of what's he into or no?
6: No, because like people are very uh, discreet um, when they talk about it beforehand. Usually it's in person, but I was so weirded out. I had no intention of that happening anyway. Mm-hmm. So like I didn't even breach the subject. I, I wanted out right after he talked about the Gilgo.
3: Mm. Do you remember anything that he said else about the murders or why he was interested in them or uh, whether he thought there were more or anything like that?
6: I remember him mentioning the total the, uh, 10. He said, like, isn't there 10 people? And I remember him mentioning a girl from Jersey. He said, he said oh, there's that girl from Jersey. They're wondering if it's connected. He's like, I think it is.
3: Hey, thank you for watching.
0: Amazing. You know, Uh, I think that she has to consider herself extremely, extremely lucky that she had the forethought and the instincts to get away from that guy. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, she would have been a victim, you know, Uh, just crazy. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime true crime from a police perspective then you're in the right place and if you're not subscribed to us go on our youtube hit that subscribe button give us a thumbs up and if you want to uh, support us financially we have a patreon with three different levels and we also have a youtube channel memberships and you see the folks that are in the um the green font they're part of our youtube friends our youtube family and they uh support us. They're our friends, our subscribers, and we really appreciate them. And you, t- uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, we're growing, guys. The channel's growing, and it's not because of me. It's because of you guys uh, joining this channel and supporting us. And, of course, my co-host, my friends uh, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi, uh, professor, man of reason, attorney, retired NYPD sergeant, Mike Geary, and a new addition, uh, attorney, actress, mother of five, uh, Melanie Little. And I appreciate all these guys. They bring a, 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 their own persona to this show, which I think makes it a special show. And um, I, I think that um, they're doing a hell of a job, and I appreciate them. And, and you guys are doing a hell of a job, too, in supporting us. Uh, I, I want to play a little bit more of, about how this investigation is pushing forward and what areas is it pushing forward? Where is it going to go? And let me play a little bit of this, folks. On the screen, here we go.
1: The country are now pulling out their cold case files to see if accused Gilgo Beach killer Rex Human might be connected to their unsolved murder. The investigation here also pushing forward because there are at least six unsolved killings on Long Island in a case that was cold for more than a decade. And it is now quite hot. Long Island reporter Shantae Lands with the latest. She's live in
7: Massapequa Park for us. Shantae.
5: Well, Bill, investigators have been on scene here for at least a week now. The target is this burgundy house behind me. It belongs to accused Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Heuermann. More evidence is pulled from the Long Island property of alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer, Rex Heuerman.
1: This is just the beginning. These are allegations. We need to prove these in court.
5: It's been one week since the arrest of the Midtown Manhattan architect, husband and father of two, flipping his quiet Massapequa Park neighborhood upside down. It's crazy. It's really scary. I'm just shell-shocked, to be honest with you. Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone has dealt with the Gilgo Beach investigation, which launched in 2010. For his entire tenure.
3: The fact that he's uh, this individual's in custody I know is providing a, a lot of uh, uh, sense of relief for the public.
5: The search for more possible victims is now going beyond the 10 bodies found along Gilgo Beach expanding to a fourth state.
3: We have to you know, shame on us if we don't uh, look into
4: Las Vegas, uh, South Carolina, uh, even uh, even Atlantic City.
5: Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison says investigators are now checking to see whether Hewerman had ties to Atlantic City, New Jersey and a string of unsolved killings of women who worked as prostitutes. This as Suffolk County Sheriff's deputies are also interviewing incarcerated sex workers about their interactions with Hewerman.
0: He had reached out to them uh, to, for sex. Uh, fortunately for these two women, they uh, took the calls but did not uh, meet with him.
5: Hewerman has been charged with murder and the deaths of three young women who worked as escorts. His wife of more than 25 years filing for divorce, seen here in this FoxNews.com photo. The docket says it will be uncontested. He was a
0: strange guy. His wife was a strange person. The kids were, uh, one kid, Chris, was. Uh, he's, he's got issues, but he's a sweet kid.
5: And you can see local and state police there. That was Rex Huerman's neighbor speaking. That was his next-door neighbor. He's lived there next to him for 30 years. Now, as far as Rex Heuerman, he pleaded not guilty. He grew up in that house, and we're hearing that investigators will remain on scene here for at least several more days. Bill?
1: Wow, what a story has been shot at. and it's gonna it's gonna get continue to get like this because even more because there are all these unsolved murders still out there I want to get a sense of what you what you feel what's the what's the sense of how people feel out there my sense is that uh, officials are really talking about this because it was so botched up for so many years
0: you know I I, I hate when a reporter talks about botched up uh, you know because reporters do more botched up stuff than any other profession but you know A botched up investigation. And you know, it's there was some highs and lows in this investigation, no doubt. And we just went over it that they had that information in the 2010 in regards to Amber Costello. And that was something again, we would everyone would say that evidence should have shouted out at them. However, it didn't. Uh and if you ever worked a major homicide investigation, things don't always shout at at you. Sometimes there's subtleties and you can't imagine how much information they had. It's easy now when we know which way it went to focus on and say, oh, they should have picked this up right away. They should have known that this was the guy. They should have uh, spoken to his, um, to his neighbors. They would have told them now, of course, all the neighbors and I always say, hindsight is 20, twenty you're all saying, oh yeah, we knew, you know, of course you knew, but you didn't, you didn't know, you know. Um, one of the amazing things about this, and I don't know, you know, did the, the, the interview we watched with Chris Cuomo with that escort, did he really talk to her about the burlap bags or is that something that she heard in the news and she you know, is trying to connect the dots to inject herself more into this case, because that sounds like something strange. She even indicated that I don't even know if it was out yet. You know, I don't know that. I don't know if he would have brought that up, you know, because that if that was true, if that were true that, yeah, he spoke to me about the burlap bags and no one knew about that. Then, I mean, that would be like a crazy, crazy clue. So we talk about, you know, the other night even modus operandi. What was his modus operandi? Obviously, there was there was numerous things, and modus operandi is of course method of operation, and one of the things, of course, and people actually get upset that he was targeting um, escorts, sex workers, if you will, and people once one person in the chat said, "Why do you have to mention that? Because it's important." In the investigation to mention that, as per the personality of the potential killer, why is he targeting sex workers, escorts, go back in history, Jack the Ripper, in London, who was he targeting, back then they called them prostitutes, now they call them sex workers or escorts, back then they were street walkers, it goes back, and one of the reasons that killers and criminals of all types target sex workers is because they're a vulnerable population just based on what they're doing the profession they chose makes them vulnerable makes them an easy target so i i just i can't um you know this is true crime i we can't clean it up and make it pg you know this is r-rated stuff you know and uh it sometimes baffles me when someone says, oh, what do you have to do? Well, because this is reality. This is this is big boy, big girl stuff, you know, and if you can't handle that, why are you watching us? You know, this is real crime. That's why this show is called Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, because it is real crime. We're discussing real crime, you know. And, um, folks, I know that most of you uh, – that's one of the reasons you like real crime, because it is realistic. And from our perspective, from a law enforcement perspective, uh, from folks that actually did this work, I think that we can't soften it up. We can't pour sugar on top. This stuff is gritty. This stuff is dirty. This stuff is ugly. You know? And we can use euphemisms and we can soften up the language, but in reality, this... This story is about a serial killer, you know. It's about a serial killer that we're still learning so much about, you know. And ultimately, what this story is about, what this case is about, is the victims and the families of the victims that now will have a good idea who this monster is that killed their loved one. And I'll use that language, you know, I'll use that language. And again, people may say, oh, he's innocent to proven guilty. Yes, that's correct. He is innocent to proven guilty. But when you have the type of evidence that they have in this, um, could a good defense attorney uh, defeat this evidence? Um, Personally, I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't care if you get the dream team. Uh. DNA evidence, the, um, the cell phone evidence that they have in this case, the technology that they have in this case, and the fact that they're not done with this investigation. This investigation is continuing. And just think, folks, and I'm going to go over the evidence a little bit here. Uh, his wife's DNA was found on three of the victim's bodies as per her hair. Some people would ask, oh, does that mean the wife's involved? No. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that Rex, the perpetrator, A, there's two ways the hair could have got there. He brought the victims to his home. There's one way it could have gotten there. Or B, he had the hair on his body and or C, on the, the burlap bags. And because the burlap bags were in the house and because Rex was in the house and his wife is in the house, that's called transfer evidence. So Rex could have transferred his wife's hair to those burlap bags, to the tape that he taped the victims up with, and he could have transferred the hair there. So for you folks that say, does that mean because the wife's hair was... Found on the bodies. Does that mean she's involved? No. that's I just explained to you. It's called transfer evidence. All right. And even a lot of times we try to be a little educational on the show because myself and Mike Geary, Mike Geary's a current college professor. I was a college professor. Where I taught criminal justice for 10 and a half years. Uh, Charisma, thank you for the $2 super sticker. Justice for the victims and their families. 100%. And that's what we're hoping for and I always quote the book Practical Homicide Investigation by Vernon Gebert, the former NYPD Lieutenant Squad Commander, saying in the forward of that book, we work for God. We're trying to get closure for people that have no power anymore because they're deceased. We're trying to get closure for their families, their friends, their loved ones. So that's and practical homicide investigation, we work for God. And a homicide investigator lives that credo, lives to that standard. you know. The other thing, another a huge piece of evidence, one of, uh, of Rex Human's hairs was on one of the victim's bodies. And when we talk about the um, pizza, uh, the surreptitiously obtaining the DNA from the pizza, that's what it was being compared against. So that DNA lifted from another hair that was left on the bodies, Rex Uerman's DNA was being compared against that, that hair follicle using uh, a technology called mitochondrial DNA. And because DNA science has advanced by leaps and bounds in the last 10, 15, 20 years, It's They were able to scientifically connect him to these crimes, scientifically. And I frequently say all the time on this show, investigation is an art and a science. And when you put the art of investigation and the science of investigation together, it's a powerful force. Fuzzy Doxy, thank you so much for the 999 Super Sticker. Thanks, Bill keeping us up to date. You bet. And you know something, Fuzzy Doxy? Not only am I keeping you up to date, but I'm keeping me up to date. Because as someone that does true crime all the time, this case is fascinating. It's a fascinating case. Many people didn't believe it was going to end like this. And of course, it's not over. But many people hypothesized and theorized Something else was going to happen. Someone else did this. This wasn't going to happen like this. And again, this closure or this getting an arrest in this case was nothing less than spectacular when they put all the pieces together of the cell phone technology, um, the physical evidence, and uh, this Chevrolet avalanche that was sitting in the case folder. His home. We're learning that Rex Uerman's home, the potentiality that um, that there may have been that he may have killed, he may have brought the victims to that house. Again, we don't know that for sure because they haven't released that yet. But that is a distinct possibility, right? He he may he may have brought these folks to the house. And, and that would account for the reason why the Suffolk County crime scene unit is still there. And apparently yesterday, a wagon from the medical examiner's office came to the house. That's indicative of potentially the recovery of biological evidence
2: arrested in the gilgo beach murders today investigators were spotted outside rex huerman's midtown office for a second day that's where he worked as an architect we're also learning more about huerman's finances nassau county records show he owed more than $425,000 in taxes he failed to pay and he filed several lawsuits accusing drivers of hurting him in car accidents Three of those cases were settled or discontinued. Tonight, as CBS 2's Bradley Blackburn reports, Hewerman is behind bars, accused in a string of killings.
7: Rex, did you do it? 59-year-old Rex Hewerman was escorted by police Friday, an imposing Manhattan architect and married father, who is now an
4: accused serial killer. Rex Hewerman is a demon that walks among us.
7: He is charged with murdering three women and is the prime suspect in the death of another victim all sex workers whose bodies were found wrapped in burlap near the ocean they were first discovered in 2010 Hewerman was arrested outside his new york city office where police were seen removing at least four computers and outside his home in massapequa across the bay from where the victims were found people who know him expressed shock a very quiet dark um kept to himself and um
4: extremely intelligent
7: the search has gone on for years until police tied him to a pickup truck seen when one of the victims disappeared. Investigators say they recovered Hewerman's DNA from a pizza crust he threw away in New York City and matched it to hair found with the victim's bodies. They say he was also linked to burner phones used to arrange meetings. We're continuing to execute search warrants and we anticipate getting more evidence In all, police have recovered the remains of 11 people near Gilgo Beach. Family members have waited for answers. I'm grateful
8: that today is happening and I'm hopeful for the future.
7: Hewerman pleaded not guilty at his arraignment. He will be held without bond and is scheduled back in court August 1st.
0: You know, folks, one of the things also is that families that um, are waiting to see if, in fact, he can be connected to the murder of their loved one, specifically Shannon Gilbert. And she disappeared uh, at Gilgo also. And that was one of the reasons they were searching these areas, because Shannon Gilbert went missing, and she was also uh, a sex worker. So you ask, like, people ask the commonality, why is that? Well, look, they're all sex workers. Don't you think that's important? as per this investigation, to know that, 100%. Uh, it's, so, it's so, so important. And uh, up on the screen now is a picture of, uh, of Shannon Gilbert. Also, one of the victims in this case, can we attribute her death to Rex Shurman? At this point, I don't think we're able to. They're calling, uh, of course, the Gilgo Four uh, and referring to the the four that are on the screen right now, Maureen Brainerd-Barnes, Melissa Bartholomew, Amberlynn Costello, and Megan Waterman. So they haven't been able to connect to all of these. And that's one of the things that um, that we're talking about in this case is that the investigation is by no means, by no means over in this case. Because... It's it's spreading out to to other other states, other localities. Uh, is the possibility there that that he did some of these other cases in these other localities? You bet. You bet there is. And and that's why this case will won't be over until the the police say it's over and until they've crossed all the T's dot all their I's and investigated every last potential serial case that he could have been involved in that matches his M.O., that matches his signature, and exhaust all investigative resources before they, before they even consider closing this case.
8: Investigators announced bombshell news last week. A suspect in the Gilgo Beach murders case is, is now finally in custody.
4: Rex Sherman is a demon that walks among us. A predator that ruined families.
8: Now, recently released court records reveal shocking details about the alleged Long Island serial killer, Rex Hewerman. Those include a disturbing online search history that showed the 59 year old architect closely followed the Gilgo murders case from his home in Massapequa Park. Hewerman also stalked his victims and their families and sought out violent sex videos online. Documents detail his meticulous planning and timelines to commit the murders when his wife was out of town and his strange need to maintain harassing contact with victims' families after he murdered their loved ones.
1: Um, you know, I'm standing here with uh, my law enforcement partners in the Gilgo Task Force uh, to announce uh, the indictment of Defendant Rex Andrew Hearman, 59 years of age, Rex Heuermann, I'm an architect, I'm an architectural consultant, I'm a troubleshooter, born and raised on Long Island.
8: Officials claim Hewerman is responsible for at least three murders that plagued the Long Island community starting back in 2010. Since then, 11 sets of remains have been recovered in the secluded Gilgo Beach area of Suffolk County, New York.
1: Uh, these young women went missing between July of 2007 and September of 2010. They were found in uh, December of 2010 by the Suffolk County Police Department, and then there was nothing, absolutely nothing. For For the next 13 years, their cases went unsolved. Until today.
8: In early 2022, officials say a new Gilgo Beach task force comprised of Suffolk County Police Department, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office, New York State Police and the FBI was established. Just weeks later, investigators narrowed in on Hewerman as the prime suspect.
1: We took analysts, we took detective investigators, and they worked on a daily basis with other talented investigators from all of the agencies here. Um, and uh, we started that in February 1st, of 2022. Six weeks later, on March 14th, 2022, the name Rex Huerman was first mentioned as a suspect uh, in the Gilgo case.
8: For more than a year, investigators kept watch on Hewerman, during which time they used more than 300 subpoenas, search warrants and other legal processes to collect evidence in the case. Throughout it all, officials believe Huerman was closely monitoring the Gilgo Beach investigation. Between March 2022 and just last month, Hewerman made more than 200 internet searches related to the Gilgo Beach investigation, looking up, Why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? And why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught? On top of that, court documents show Hewerman's home IP address followed the Suffolk County Police Department's Gilgo News website for updates on the investigation. That's why officials opted for grand jury proceedings in his case.
1: So the grand jury has two things. It has power. It has reach. You can obtain documents. You can interview witnesses. But the other thing that the grand jury has the grand jury has secrecy. No one knows what you do when you operate a grand jury proceeding. And we knew that when we were investigating this case and when we dealt with the media or whatever it was we were doing, um, we were, we were playing uh, before a party of one, because we knew uh, the person responsible for these murders would be looking at us. So we were very careful uh, how we, we, we handled the investigation. We maintained the integrity of the investigation. Uh, most important, well, most importantly of all, we maintained the secrecy uh, of that investigation. And I think that's, uh, that's paid dividends uh, as we've seen today.
0: Folks, amazing job by everyone involved, including that district attorney, uh, Tierney, Uh, 300 subpoenas. How many warrants? Uh, You know, everything is done by the book. Cross your T's, dot your I's. Make sure everything is done legally and above board. And that's what I believe they did in this case. And they're not finished. This case, again, I speak about all the time when we talk about investigation, Connect the dots. That's what they're doing in this case. They're connecting the dots. They're seeing. They're going to wherever this case takes them. If it takes them overseas, takes them to New Jersey, takes them to Nevada, takes them to South Carolina, wherever they have his potentiality. And really, we talk about the CODIS, the combined DNA index system run by the FBI. His DNA is in there now. Now, the methodology whereby you don't—I don't know how competent it is that. If there's a case in New Jersey, does it automatically go to, it's supposed to, but you know, there's been mistakes made in the past, but now his DNA is in CODIS, the combined DNA index system run by the FBI. So any serial or any murders in the, in this, um, country that his DNA could pop up in absolutely. And and, and that, and that's an amazing thing. Um, We can't ignore in this case the big evidence, of course, which was cell phone evidence, the cell phone uh, burner phones, and how they played such a huge part in this. In addition to, he took two cell phones belonging to the victims, and with those cell phones, he basically tortured the victims' families by making phone calls to them. And telling them what they had, what he had done with their loved one. A play-by-play. Play. Like, this is a disgusting savage that would do something like that. And we had Dr. Jo- Joni Johnston, the f- great forensic psychologist, on the other night. And she spoke to this point about how Rex Ewerman is a sexual sadist that has no empathy for people. In fact... Uh, The pain inflicted to other people is what turns them on. So in some way, some sick, psychosexual way, they are turned on by the pain that they inflict to other people. That's why I personally think, and again, someone in the chat said that not only was the medical examiner there yesterday, they were there again today. So there's a good chance, I think, that, he brought those victims to his house, because look. Every time he met up with a victim, as was uh, compared with the uh, the cell phone calls on the on the uh, on the burner phones, every time he called one of these victims using those burner phones, guess where his wife was? Out of town. So did he, in fact, bring? his victims back to his home. And that's why combing this home and collecting evidence all these years later is so important. Duty Ron, I know a lot of you guys watch Duty Ron's show. He has the great NYPD crime scene detective, Ed Wallace. And Ed Wallace spoke to this, is that if the evidence is there, it can still be there this long afterwards. And it could still be a powerful tool against the serial killer Rex Hummer. And we're hoping that that's what happened, that that's what was recovered. And um, so the cell phones, the burner phones, the financial records, putting his his credit card records to these phones. And every time he was paying or where he was paying to re-up these phones for more minutes. You can hide who owns the phone by getting an anonymous phone number but you can't hide that you're paying for more minutes from a specific store. Of course, a deep dive for investigators to do that and to find out how, you know, who owns this phone, or then compare that, those burner phones, to the cell sites, of course, coming, pinging in Massapequa Park, pinging in Manhattan near his office. Coming up with the name Rex Uerman by comparing it to that Chevy uh, avalanche that they had the information to. We started this show today talking about what many people would see as a huge mistake by law enforcement that they had that information in September 2010. And it lied dormant in a case folder for that many years. And many people are going to find fault in that. you know, And we can look at it and say, oh, it was a mistake. would someone, this is the way people look at it, would someone be alive if they caught that information back then? Uh, That's the question that a lot of people will be asking. And uh, folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe is a retired NYPD police officer, turned attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell. At 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Joe is not only a fantastic attorney, but a huge, huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. Folks, so where is this case going? Everyone wants to know. where, where What next? What, what are we going to find out next? Could he have more victims on Long Island? Is that even a possibility? I think it is, and I think that I have no doubt, and I think most people that have done these investigations, most people that have followed this, I think, unfortunately, are thinking that yes, he does have more victims. Because Dr. Joni Johnson, again, I keep referring to her because she's such a great forensic psychologist, she said she found it hard to believe that he would have started his serial killer career at the age of 46, that he must have started much earlier than that age. And um, I agree with her. I think there is, um, there is no chance that, um, that he just started. You know, they had, I just will finish with this, but the, the daughter of the BTK killer uh, is comparing her dad to Rex Hewerman. I find it sort of bizarre, but let me play a little bit of this up for more crime. Lived
9: in Long Island in plain sight for decades. Rex Hewerman was an architect by day, but police say by night he was targeting women in his hidden life as a serial
2: killer. I was reading those charging documents, like what Rex was doing. Like I literally was cussing on Twitter because I was like, holy cow, this is so much like my dad.
9: I talk with Carrie Rawson, the daughter of serial killer BTK, about the case. Thanks for joining us here on Law & Crime. I'm Ann Jeanette Levy. Rex Huerman faces charges of first and second degree murder in the deaths of three women found buried in camouflage burlap. The bodies of Megan Waterman, Melissa Bartholomew, and Amber Costello were discovered in 2010 on Long Island's Gilgo Beach. Hureman is a suspect in the death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and it's possible more charges could be filed against him. Hureman lived in Massapequa Park on Long Island, traveling into the city each day to work at his Manhattan firm as an architect. He entered a not guilty plea to the charges, and he's innocent until proven guilty. But his arrest has drawn comparisons to Dennis Rader, the BTK serial killer who was arrested in 2005 in Kansas, and later confessed to killing 10 people. Raider went to work every day and attended church. He had a family, just like Rex Hureman. I spoke with Raider's daughter, Carrie Rawson, who's an author and an advocate for victims about the Gilgo Beach case. Carrie, when you heard there had been an arrest in the Gilgo Beach case, what went through your mind?
2: So you're glad to hear there's been an arrest, and then instantly I was like, is there a family? And did he have a family? And so then, when you're hearing, you know that you know Rex has a wife and kids, you're just instantly like, from my reality, just torn apart. Like, again, it's just like it hits all over again. Um, like it's like here we are on another Friday. It's 18 years later. Here's another family going through what, what ours is, and it's like, has anything really changed in culture in 20 years? No.
9: What I find so uh, interesting about this, and it's incredibly sad as well, Rex Shurman is an, an architect going into the city each day. He owns an architectural firm, and he's your guy living in the house in suburbia, driving his truck. Uh, very similar in some respects to your father. Your father, you know, worked a job and had a had a career and. I, I think the similarities are striking. Did you feel that way?
2: Um, absolutely. I felt the similarities were the same with like Rex and my dad, um, even down to their method of, well, Rex is a suspect, so we have to remember that. But based on... Correct. He's innocent until proven guilty, yet yeah, presumption of innocence. Right. But when we're looking at like the charging documents with the bit and the no bell, um, like, down to, like, method of murder of, like, as far as I understand strangulation with, um, you know, Gilgo Beach, um, when we're talking at least the four women, the three that have been charged, and the one that's coming, I'm sure, Marine like, that's the same method of murder as my father. Um, almost all nine out of ten were strangulation, and the tenth would have been if it hadn't been interrupted. So, like down to the method of murder and then the bondage um, like we're seeing bondage items used with the go-go beach um, women um, that was like primarily my dad's method of like torture and leaving these binds sometimes on the women um, so my dad's really prolifically known for these, these sort of things like withdrawings and Polaroids um, like seeking out this sort of stuff and then when you're looking at that list of uh, internet searches, you know, that Rex was looking for, like, like if my dad was not in prison now, he would basically like be like Rex right now with like the burner phones and on the internet with these searches. So the differences are though that my father, um, trolled and stalked like unknown people to him. And then he sometimes didn't even know their name until after they were in the news as being murdered um rex is um as far as we know focusing on sex workers and so there there is a difference of how he communicated and picked his victims um like narrowed down on them. but like when i was reading those charging documents like what rex was doing like i literally was cussing on twitter because i was like holy cow this is so much like my dad
0: you know, it, it's it's somewhat... Here I am, uh, sort of a hardened homicide investigator, and just listening to her speak is somewhat disturbing. It's like he's so cavalierly talking about a serial killer, and it's almost like, and I'm not blaming her, she's probably got her own issues having BTK be her father, but it's almost like she's talking about Rex Urman as if she knows him, you know? She knows the type, I guess, so I guess because... She knows the type. She knows him. I mean, I don't think so. I think we've become so desensitized about things like this um, that it's just is it is it is disturbing. Uh, talking about you know the way he killed people and all those things that are that that are disturbing. But I don't know. I'm just giving my feelings out about that. Being someone who has worked hundreds of homicides and been set, you know, probably a thousand violent crime scenes in my police career. When people so cavalierly talk about this, like it's, like it's a sporting event or something. I just find it a little bit, uh, a, not a little bit, a lot bit disturbing, you know? Uh, and, uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that if you feel the same way, but, uh, Folks, you know, I, I spent a lot of time doing this today and um, we're going to stay up on top of this case. I'd like to bring um, Dr. Joni Johnston back on because I think that we've just scratched the surface of Rex psych, psych, uh psychopathy. <laughs> That's the hardest word for me to say, his psychopathy. And I th- would ra- I'd like to take a deeper dive into that and what it means. And I'd also like to talk about a little bit about his family, because I find it difficult to believe, and I'm not saying they're involved in any way, but I would find it hard to believe that Rex Schumann didn't show personality traits that were extremely bizarre and extremely damaging to his family. I would find that hard to believe, and um, I would like to know a little bit more about that. I would like to know if, if he has any friends. Look, we just found out about his financial thing. He owed some ridiculous amount of money to the IRS. I mean, what does that say about him? <laughs> I said that last night to Melanie, and she said, it means he doesn't, didn't pay his taxes. Duh. I know that, Melanie. I'm saying, what does it say about who he is, that he has this job, but he doesn't pay his taxes? And, you know, where is he when he when he comes home? Where is he at night? Is he always trolling at nighttime? He's probably, you know, if he's doing all these things, he's not a homebody. You know, he's not home by the fireplace, you know, watching football games or watching Netflix with his family. I think he's out there. And uh, these are some of the questions. I also want to have Bobby Chacon come on uh, the FBI agent fantastic FBI agent that I was supposed to have on the other night. Uh, but he had a family, a family problem and couldn't make it. Lula Morocco, Lou, thank you so much for the $25 super sticker. Very much appreciated all you guys that support the police off the cuff uh, show and all you folks with the green font, uh, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo. Agree, Bill, someone new, neighbor, friends, coworkers, family. I just can't believe, Lieutenant Pete, that his behavior day-to-day was normal when you're doing this in your off hours. Or that, is this your hobby? I can't believe that there's not other parts of your personality that show that you are doing something sinister like this. And, um, yeah, I think we have to keep following this and taking a, a deep dive into who he is. And I know there's probably uh, profilers and, uh, forensic, path- you know, forensic psychologists and people who read serial killer personalities like this. And I do think it's fascinating. And we're going to stay with this case and take a deeper dive folks again. Thank you so much. This is a police off the cuff, real crime stories. And I'm so, um, happy that you guys are supporting us. I'm bill cannon. Uh, I want you guys to have a wonderful weekend. God bless, and, and we'll talk real soon. One just